0: Hello there, how you doing? This is Marketing in the Raw, that is the podcast, and my name is Adam Hellway. I am the host. This is the podcast where I hope to expand how you define the practice of marketing and your vision of where it's headed, especially in a digitally connected world. In this episode, I want to introduce you to Val Swisher. She's the founder and CEO of global content strategy company, Content Rules. For over 25 years, she's helped some of the world's largest brands like Adobe, Facebook, Microsoft, Cisco, Google, and all kinds of other folks with their content strategy, content development, and content optimization. Val and I became friends almost a decade ago, and I've learned so much about content from her that I can often hear her voice in my head when I'm developing content for myself or my clients. Uh, Her experience has been so steeped in technical communications over the years, a world that she knows inside and out. But she, uh, she's since witnessed the explosion of marketing content and feels that the lessons that she's learned and the processes that have been developed in the technical communication field provide an incredible opportunity for content marketers. In this episode, she shares with me her unique perspective on how content marketing will need to evolve if it's going to live up to its full potential, especially in a world where content feeds every stage of the customer experience. I'm so happy to introduce you to my friend and the queen of content strategy, Val Swisher. Good afternoon, Val Swisher. How are you doing, my friend?
1: I am doing just great, Adam. How are you?
0: I am doing good now that I'm talking to you. And you you have a little moose over there. You have a new dog with you these days, huh?
1: I do. I have my 12-week-old puppy moose. He's so cute.
0: (laughs) uh if 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 you know Val or on on Facebook for instance you, that's all you're going to see is is moose photos these days and moose learning the, the 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 reins at the at the house and and all that glad to see uh he's getting uh, accommodated to the place very quickly
1: <laughs> oh yes yeah. so he's got the run of the house already
0: uh well so you are really in in my mind, the queen of content strategy, you, you have worked within the technical content um, field, the content industry for quite some time. Can you share a little bit about, um, I mean, content rules, the company, which started off as, as another whole, whole name has been around for 25 years. You just had your 25th anniversary of the company, right?
1: We did, we did. And I, I don't know how it happened since I'm only thirty two. So it doesn't make any sense to me that the company can be twenty five. An entrepreneur. But, you know? Yeah, that yeah. Yep. Somehow that happened. So yes, I've I've been around for a long time. I I feel like I've seen it all.
0: And 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 things have changed over a period of time. Uh, You you started off. Can you share with us a little bit about, um, you know, what you saw in 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 those first couple decades?
1: Oh my gosh, I sound so old. In the first two decades, (laughs) so uh, you know, things have changed so much in the past twenty five years, and it's more than just the technological advancements. I mean, when I started it was 1994
0: and that's specifically and with content day, right in the content industry
1: yeah, yeah. in the content industry. Um, well, when I started the company, I actually started in the content industry back in 1988
0: when you were like, and four. we're
1: talking, I was maybe five, maybe five. Um, you know, this is pre internet when I started in 1995, I was, uh, at Netscape, Netscape was one of my customers when they IPO'd and forever changed the way we live way back in 1995. So, certainly, technology continues to advance and have a very quick march forward. Not just uh, the tools that we can use, the things that we can do, there's so much. In addition, though, our entire approach to content has changed, and that goes across tech content, training content, sales enablement content, marketing content, our approach to how we communicate with our customer, whoever it is that's the recipient of our content, has fundamentally shifted and it has nothing to do with the technology. It has everything to do with the relationship and the tone and the voice and what we say rather than how we say it. I think technology has really advanced in terms of how we, you know, the, the media, the forms that we use to say things. But there's been a fundamental shift in what we say, how we phrase things, that has really changed over can, the past few can seconds. Can you share an
0: example of that?
1: Absolutely. In the beginning, when I first started, whether it was... In the beginning, was, I like that. In the beginning. In the, yes, in the beginning. Genesis 1, when <laughs> Val first started. I don't know. Um, in the beginning, whether it was technical content or marketing content, advertising, you know, I've always worked with a lot of high-tech companies. And the... Relationship that we had with our customers was pretty formal. it was pretty i'm gonna say uptight. We always referred to the customer, the user you know we never used first person and we never used the word you it
0: was less human is was, what it would it what it was
1: it was way less human i we certainly didn't use a contraction. heaven forbid. And nobody in their right mind would have thought of using a singular they, them, there. I mean, that, that's very, very recent. But we really had this formal relationship in our tone and the words that we picked to connect with our customers. And there was a feeling then that this was technology, this was new, and we had to be very technical in order to be taken seriously. So the writing was more technical. The words were more complicated, multisyllabic. It was like the more technical, then the more uh, serious we were taken, the more the, the more leadership we would have, if you will, in the industry. And that has really gone. If it's a pendulum, that pendulum has swung all the way and up. To the other side, that now, and I'm going to say probably the past the past ten years, our relationship with our customer is really no longer. I'm a vendor and you're a customer. I have a product or a service to sell, and I would like you to buy it. It's really, I want to be your new best friend. I'm going to engage with you. Oh, customer on a level that is you're gonna be my champion. We're gonna be buds. We're gonna be pals. And it's more than just that I want you to be a happy customer. I want you to be my champion so that your social posts and everything else that you do is championing championing championing? Championing my brand my product, my service. So we're we're relating now, me and you. You know, we, we're on a first name basis and we are buds and casual and I'm speaking to you in such a friendly, casual tone of voice that um, it's as if, you know, you're my BFF, you know, and I'm texting with you. It's really swung that far
0: well well and even even these days where where a lot of the, the these communications have you know um, added i mean i remember when when um, i started to see organization using things like you know emojis and animated gifs and and all that in their communication and and go wow cuz i i you know uh, that felt very informal to me, but it's become uh, a very, fairly commonplace. But I would also argue to say, and I and I think you probably would agree with me because you're you're sort of just at just just sharing what, what you're seeing being done, but not necessarily saying that that we are in a in a in a precisely better state by by having communication be this way because it tends to be a little bit maybe overly inauthentic being as informal as it is in some ways. What are your thoughts on that?
1: Yeah. So, (laughs) so I think that the pendulum has swung too far and there are a number of reasons. One is, um, are we genuine or is a lot of this chumminess more of a, a put on? I think that sometimes it almost becomes a caricature. It becomes so exaggerated um, there are lots of problems that you run into being this friendly. Uh, one is, you know, the, the are, am I genuine? Another is, um, I can't translate it, doesn't make any sense in other languages, you just, you can't translate BFF, you can't translate chummy, cheeky, pally, It it doesn't work. Sometimes it doesn't work because there aren't equivalent words that have that same snap to them. I'm thinking of certain taglines from some of my customers that it's like, it's it's just not going to work over there. Even worse than that though, is that culturally not everybody wants to be your best friend. Mm -hmm. So um, the relationship that people perhaps customers in asia or perhaps the middle east is a different expectation and desire on the customers part than perhaps western europe places that that culturally in certain ways seem closer to us c- culture people define people define
0: relationships generally differently right across borders so whether that's oh, yeah. a, a personal and business or just simply Relationships in general um, are are, are quite different. Um, That doesn't necessarily always translate in, in the communication if you're a global company.
1: Absolutely. And your customers might be offended that you're trying to be this chummy with them. You might be doing yourself a disservice, assuming you can actually localize and translate that message in a way that, just grammatically make sense in another language. That doesn't mean that culturally, that's the level that your customers want to engage with you on. So I think that there is a middle ground for this pendulum. I certainly don't think we should go back to a very formal, third person, very complicated way of communicating with customers. I I, I think that's not a good idea. I do think that there is a middle ground where we can be clear, we can speak simply, we can be a little catchy, right? I mean, we we want to have some emotional message in there. I want you to think, Oh, that was funny, um that's beautiful, you know we're happy, here's happy people. there's unhappy people now they're happy people, <laughs> but I think we right I mean you no know, i want I want you to see that your life is going to be much better if you'll just buy what I have to sell you, but we always have to be respectful of who that person is on the other side of our message to make sure that it is genuine. And it is in keeping with how that person wants to relate to you. It's all about how the customer wants to relate to your brand, not the way you want the customer to relate to your brand. And I think that's where we cross the line sometimes. And I've seen it happen.
0: And and, and so this now starts to move in in the direction of, you alluded to it as as far as saying you know these things don't necessarily translate right so if you if you wanted to scale if you were a global company um, instead of creating additional content there's you alluded to the opportunity obviously to reuse current content that you have and I know you're you're along with all the rest of the stuff that you do with content you speak a lot and work with a lot of of large companies on how to do more with the content that you actually have rather than reinvent reinvent the wheel. And I think a lot of people do that. Even when it comes to content marketing, they tend to create one piece of content, barely promote that piece of content, or barely look at opportunities where when we're working with them, we're saying, how can we turn that piece of content into 10 different things that we could utilize let alone before you even get to a point where you might translate it into and use it in other markets. Um, how are, um, how are, what are the opportunities these days now, especially with both the the technology and the volume of content that's being produced by an average organization? What are the opportunities that some folks may be missing to really do more with the content that they already have?
1: That's a great, that's a great question. I think that, um, there are probably three, off the top of my head, I can think of three different areas to focus on when it comes to looking for ways to reuse this brilliant piece of content that you've created. One is just looking within this very same product line, service line, within this very same um department this content marketing of a particular product or service. So uh one of the things I've always appreciated about working with you is we come up with something and it's like, oh, well can we make a blog post and can we do some social and can we find some tweets in there? Can we do an ebook? Can you know, can we expand, not rewrite, but take a nugget and make more. And, and then use that and reuse that nugget in different places. So I think that the easiest place to look is right here in the content that you're creating for a something, right? A product, a service, a, a launch or whatever. Another place where we can reuse content is where I have six or seven models of the same widget or versions of the same software, where can I actually take this nugget and with very little change, change that can be managed in a way that's not rewriting, how can I reuse this content for model number one and model number two and model number three and model number four, so that, or even completely different, you know, I I have... I'm going to say, I'll just say, I have this kind of phone over here and I have a completely different kind of phone over there. And I'm writing software for these two completely different operating systems and phones. Can I reuse what I'm writing so that I don't have to have a version for iOS and a version for Android? Can I use it and reuse it with, no change or minimal change. Because I think we sit down and we write this for iOS and it's going to look a certain way and it's kind of going to be Apple-like or whatever. Then we're going to write something different for Android and it's going to look more of a Google-like way. And that's that's a waste. It's it's a waste of time. It's a waste of money. You don't have the time, the resources. Better to say, can I take that same piece of content, uh, email blast, uh, whatever, and use it for multiple products or services. So that's the second. And then the third, which is revolutionary, can I share content across the silo to a different silo? Because, gee, wouldn't it be nice if the same messages we're using in marketing were somehow repeated in training? Or somehow the same, yeah, data sheet terminology that we had to describe a product.
0: It'd be a shame to have consistency across the company, right?
1: I mean, can you imagine we shoot ourselves in the head? Exactly. So can I single source across multiple content types that are beyond just content marketing? So single source within content marketing of a particular thing, Single source within content marketing across multiple kinds of things, and then single source across all kinds of content through the enterprise. And you get efficiency, you get uh, cost savings, time savings, a better customer experience, because we all called the dog a dog. We all use the same words. You translate it once, you store it once, you update it once. There's a million reasons.
0: Versus a canine or, or a pooch or, or, or whatever, right?
1: Right. A, a dog, a canine, a pooch, a, a, a moose, a snickerdoodle, you know, whatever. Exactly. <laughs> Did you like those last two? <laughs> moose is a very special breed of dog. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So those are, I think, three co- complete scopes of where we can be looking and finding opportunities to do more with the very same content that we just spent all this time creating and polishing and having reviewed and all the things that we do to get content ready.
0: So how, because again, as I was talking about at the beginning, you you started off doing much more within the technical content space. But I know that over the years, um, you've you've started making doing much more in the marketing side. And so, from the marketing perspective, what are some um, opportunities or, or some ways that s- some of the ways that 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 the um, content strategy that used to be either relegated towards Technical content or more technical, more technical content, really, generally speaking, um, has started to now traverse on over to the marketing side and how marketing um, might need to to think differently or or look at some new tools over the next few years to really evolve to meet the challenge.
1: This is very interesting. What I have seen happen in the past three to five years Um, in the technical arena. We've had structured content for at least a decade. So when I say structured content, I mean content that is written on a very small scale, where I write small chunks of content, and I store them in a component content management system. And then I assemble the chunks into different things. And I can assemble them on the fly. And they're separate from the format. So I write them and I store them completely separate from how they ultimately look. And then when I publish them, I can create a version for uh, a tablet and a version for this type of customer on a PC or laptop or whatever. To the the right person at the right
0: time and the right device and the right region, all those things.
1: Exactly. Exactly. From single source of truth, I write it once, but I use it, and I may use different pieces, combine them in different ways. Well, nowadays, all I hear about from customers in marketing is personalization. Personalization, personalization. I need to, you know, either automatically know that Sam is coming in and Sam owns you know, a Tesla Model 3 from this year, so I'm only going to serve up Sam. This information, marketing campaign, that's for Sam with his blue whatever. Personalized to Sam. Or I'm going to ask Sally these three questions right at the beginning of our conversation. And based on how she answers, I'm going to personalize her experience. So I either already know you because you've logged in through a date and I know information about you, I'm going to personalize your experience, or I'm going to ask you some questions so that I can personalize your experience. The, my opinion, best way to provide a personalized experience is to have content that is written and stored in very small chunks that is very well tagged, that has the metadata that the systems need to say, oh, you know, uh, 2019 blue Tesla Model 3, whatever, right? That's, I know that, SAM has these things and I'm gonna go grab just those pieces of information that are tagged for SAM. So small pieces, they're stored independent of content, of the way they look, independent of, of format, they're very well tanned with a very well defined taxonomy and metadata. And when customer X comes along and meets these criteria, the system automatically pulls these pieces of content, packages them so they look in this way, and publishes it to whatever. Customer X is needing is at that moment. This is a direct crossover between what we've been doing in the tech comm arena and what we need to be doing in the marketing content arena. Um, it, it's a direct crossover. And every day I speak to customers who want to do this on a big scale. We can create systems that do this that are all, all unique, right We're homegrown systems, but they don't scale and they don't scale for the amount of content and for the time frame that you need them to scale. So we need to find a solution in my we have not found a good solution to allowing our content marketing people to be able to create and store and manage and call upon to publish on demand these personalized experiences in this paradigm that is proven to work. So it's it's an amazing point of time right now to have feet in both camps, to see all the things we've done in Techcom and see this tremendous need in MarCom that we can't quite get there yet.
0: And Is there anything that's starting to 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 move in that direction? Are there areas where it seems like um, you know folks are, are are gaining a little bit of ground in that area?
1: Yeah, I think that um, that there are digital asset management systems that are really starting to look at this closely. To me, the number one problem, the reason we're not there yet is that the tools that we have available in the tech world to create this type of content and to store it and manage it and all the things we need to do for it, they're not pretty. They're not easy. They're not Microsoft Word. I can't see the design, right? I can't see it when I'm writing it. It's not WYSIWYG because I can make it look 20 different ways 100 damn. however i want it to look so the tools are such that it's it's hard for the techcom writers to really embrace and understand to get the real power out of these tools they are not acceptable in the marketing arena they just they're just not they that they're acceptable in the techcom arena is a testament to the fact that technical writers like to be technical. So, you know, give me, give me this tool. that's it's like half coding. It, it, you know, I I got the flash and the P and then it ends with the flash. And it's like, am I writing? Am I coding? It doesn't play in content marketing. Yeah. Yeah. So until we have some better tools and they are coming and there are uh, component content management vendors, that are coming out with much better writing environments that are like Word. And there are digital asset management systems that are realizing that we need to manage these assets on a very small scale and be able to build our information product, our end product, from these little assets. It is starting to happen. I'm impatient. It's not happening fast enough. This has been a problem for years already, from what, what I can see. I don't know. Do you have a different experience?
0: Uh, No, I don't have a different experience. I am seeing um, not being in the technical content world, you know, previously I am seeing a lot of uh, tools that are trying to do things like take a large piece of content and automatically break it into smaller pieces uh, of content to do things like social uh, and, 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 other things. And so they're starting to use like, um, machine learning and AI to, to sort of help out with that a bit, which is very different, obviously than thinking of, uh, of, of, of doing that early in the content development process. Um, and I think one of the, the, the hardest things, like for, for instance, with us, when we develop content with our clients, it's one thing to develop the content and to like know internally in our brains, Oh, well, there's this piece of content here that we could use elsewhere there. And we could sort of atomize this piece of content and, uh, and that sort of thing. It's one thing to know it. It's another thing to properly have it stored and, and, and organized in a way that makes it easy to, to, um, uh, to access and to, to, to pull up as you're, as you need it from just a pure, you know, content asset perspective, here's the written content, here's potentially audio content, here's visuals, um, those sorts of things where you, you can pull those in individually as needed. We're, we're sort of forced to pry them out of existing content and know that they're there, which means that our brains become the, the, the asset management, you know, uh, tool and or, or the, the taxonomy and tagging tool. Uh, and so that's where things are really, really falling short, let alone People in marketing that uh, often forgetting to even reuse content in the first place, um, and, and so I think that there's a, a, a significant um, you know chasm to to cross um, for for just getting people to think appropriately about the the, the opportunity for reuse, but then. Um, then getting past, just as you were saying that very technical facade that is, is, uh, is, has been prevalent in your technical techcom industry for a long, long time, getting past that, that, that technical facade and making the tools, uh, easier and more acceptable for, you know, folks within marketing to use it. Cause somebody in sales, for instance, if you want to provide a sales enablement, uh, 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 Set of content or make content from one side of, of the organization available to somebody in sales. That salesperson is not going to want to fuss with learning some sort of uh, you know terminal code or or uh, uh, some other uh, script of some kind just to be able to pull up the content that they're that they're looking for. Um, what, what comes to mind a little bit is like witty parrot to some extent in some uh, some of those tools where. They've made some pretty cool attempts at sort of allowing you to store things into an easy to pull up widget that w- you could use inside email or or other places to find you know content like that. But um, beyond that, I, I think that that, that folks are, are still working on things. It sounds, huh?
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, witty parents is a good example. They might have been the first really look at this and uh realize that this was something to be tackled um and boy we were like a beta site for the with you know dark ages for the very first iteration of witty power they've come a long way and that's sort of the thing that that i think we're looking at you know there are um there are other vendors you know, of course, I'm going to mention SDL, where they are uh, about to release an authoring environment that looks and smells a lot like words, very easy, you can get out of the XML of it. So I think that that can be a game changer, and um, get us another few steps there. Um, But there's two things I also want to mention. The first is, if you Are going to reuse content, you need to reinvent the way you create it, not tools-wise, but just the way you you conceptualize the content, the way you write the content. If you're going to write for reuse, and I, I mean, I have a whole training course on how to do this. You know, I can't, I can't give it to you in in two minutes. No, come on, that's what I was expecting. uh, Come on, (laughs) you want your money's worth here. (laughs) if only. So you need to reconceptualize what that content is going to say and how you're going to phrase things and the words you're going to use when you're specifically writing for reuse. The second thing I want to say is that I see a fundamental gap, particularly in marketing, that I still am not able to break through. And I'll tell you what it is. When I'm talking about content strategy with marketing groups, which we do all the time, they are almost 100% focused on the output. I cannot get them to understand that you have to focus on the input in order to get the output that you need and to get it to do what you need it to do. It is not the bright, shiny object that you have to focus on. You have to focus on those bare bones. What are the images? What are the words? What's the audio? Is there video? What are those fundamental building blocks that you're gonna have, and they have to be written for reuse. They have to be stored properly. They have to be tagged. It's a slog, but you gotta tag them. You have to have a robust taxonomy. If you're only focusing on, oh, I need the website to look like this, I need the, you know, app to look like that. When I work with customers, I honestly could care less what it's going to look like. I don't care. Because if we don't do it right on the input, we'll never have it look anything on the output. We must focus on the writing, on the storage, on the creation of the images. We must focus on the things and all the management and governance around the thing. And if you do that right, then the plethora, that's the word of the day, plethora, ding, 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 the plethora of things that you can do with that little chunk of content, it it opens up for you and it becomes easy on the output side. But darn if I can't get my marketing customers to like get your fingers off the bright shiny object and care about the plumbing. It doesn't matter if you have a gold-plated faucet, you need the plumbing. If the water is no good, as we know from my house. In the country where the water would smell like rotten eggs, right? You remember, if the water's no good, it doesn't matter how many faucets I put in, it's still going to smell like rotten eggs, which by the way, I now have like a five-stage watering filter system. It's, It's beautiful now, but I have to work on the plumbing. That's what we do. Oh my gosh, I feel a blog post. The plumbing, content plumbing. That's what we need to call it. Content plumbing. Yes brilliant thank you
0: <laughs> well and and that actually goes a lot to um the the, the term content transformation which you talk a, a lot about right is is it's 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 how you're writing it but but how you're con- not just writing i mean we talk about a lot of people think of text when they think of content but there, you know that can be with almost anything that you're producing and then additionally you know so it's the mindset but the content itself and and in thinking about making a, a, a sort of um, a move in that direction or, or, or finally making a commitment to, to doing that, um, also going back and potentially looking at your older content and saying, okay, now how can we not lose all this asset, this big asset? Um, potentially big depending on when you start this process. If you started earlier then good kudos for you, but you have an asset, you have all this content that you have you've had over these years, potentially um, being used across your entire organization. And there are, there are ways to not sort of um, leave that behind um, when you decide to commit to creating this, uh, you know, reusing your content moving forward and using structured content.
1: Absolutely. And um Customers do one of a few things. One is um, they leave a lot of it behind and it's it's such a waste because there's so much good content they already have. Um, The second is they maintain two separate systems for way longer than they should. And boy, maintaining two separate systems is not twice as difficult. It's like four times as difficult because you know you're trying to change the paradigm but you need to keep this legacy content around because it's still it's legacy but it's still current um or sometimes they just completely rewrite it like it never existed to begin with i mean there's better ways to do it and i think that it's really important first and foremost to evaluate the legacy content that you have and Decide what's a value and what's not a value because we have way too much content now. Once you've evaluated that, it is more than just changing a file format. I mean, you really need to, yes, uh, oftentimes we have to change the extension on the file and therefore the format of the file on the inside. But again, reconceptualizing what reusable content is about. Things as simple as um, how you refer to an image, if your image caption, there's just one little example, if you, let's just say you have two images and you have, you know, uh, uh, you have image A and image B and you're comparing them and your caption on the left says image A and your caption on the right says image B. And you haven't actually said what these images are, you haven't been descriptive in your caption. You're relying on something else to describe what's in these images. You can't use those images as they are with those captions anywhere else. So, you know, you have to think, or even if you're referring, you say, you know, the above or the below, and you're in some other medium where it's actually now to the side Uh. it's it's simple things but um uh, i've seen a lot of image captions that live with that are stored with the image that don't say what the image is so if i call it in to a new a new personalized product for someone else and it just says image a and we're not talking about a and b and i'm like what what am i looking at Oh, that's the you know. Here's how the cloud looks when you use this. An and did you know? You know what I'm getting at? Yeah,
0: yeah, totally. It's a very things that that are. Um, um, that seemed like they would be simple, but if you didn't know, you wouldn't know to catch them. You wouldn't know to make those changes, and and you'd be throwing out a lot of money that you'd you you'd already spent. Obviously, um, producing content content is exp- an expensive thing to produce. It's it, it, it's uh, it's something, in my opinion, that that grossly gets underutilized in a lot of cases for uh, for folks. At least that's been my experience. Um, and, uh, and underutilized at face value for whatever format it's originally in, but also underutilized uh, ultimately for the, its potential for repurposing as well. Um, and so these are all really, um, really good. This is all really good uh, advice for, for folks and great recommendations. Uh, I have one final super important question. It's the biggest question of the entire, the entire podcast. Are you ready? No, this is this, okay. is, this, is, me, this is the this is the the end of it here and, and so you just okay. have, this has to be the right answer, Val. All right. Okay, I'm ready. Of all the quilts that you've created, which is your favorite? Can you tell us about it?
1: <laughs> My favorite quilt. Yes, I can tell you about it. My so Val is an quilt.
0: avid quilter. She flies <laughs> places to quilt and and, uh, and 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 loves to quilt. She has a place in her in her home that's just a huge workshop dedicated. to 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 quilting uh and so at any rate go ahead Val all
1: right my favorite quilt took me seven years to finish it's a quilt that I started way back when at a workshop learning a new technique and I just built it on the fly it doesn't have a pattern I just it it grew and it was a quilt that kept speaking to me I would be like okay quilt, what do you want now And it would say to me, Oh, I need a border here. Quilt Whisperer. Another Marinus. Yes, the Quilt Whisperer. And I had this quilt, and I thought it was not finished for five years. And I showed it at a retreat. And I said, The quilt's not saying anything to me. It's been years. (laughs) And someone in the back yells out, The quilt says it's done. (laughs) <laughs> and I looked at the quilt, and I came home and I put the borders on and I put the binding on, and it was done. And uh, it's hanging in my living room, and it's a big mariner's compass. And uh, it, it 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 was just the funniest, funniest thing. And I just love this quilt because it spoke to me. I'm like, okay, quilt, let's look at the fabric. What would you like now?
0: So the quilt you know, eventually sp- the the quilt eventually spoke through somebody else. It sounds like, huh?
1: Yeah, and said, you know, it's been five years. Maybe you should finish me up. It took me another two years to get it finished and hanging in my house. And I think it was five days after I hung it in my house. We had the big, big fire.
0: Oh, my gosh. uh, Yeah.
1: And I thought that my house and my quilt that took seven years by the time it was finished were gone. And the quilt survived, as did the house. And, you know, I'll never forget hanging it. And then, Oh my God, I shouldn't have hung it. I should have just kept it you know, where it was, <laughs> but it's still there. It's still there.
0: Well, uh, thank you again for making the time. Um, I'm sure that folks are now thinking about their content differently. And uh, I hope to have you back again.
1: Anytime. This was a lot of fun, Adam. Always great to talk to you.
0: Take care. I love, I love, I love that you finished the episode. I super appreciate that you spent your time with us. You could have been in so many other places. Maybe you were avoiding those other places, and that' why that's why you spent time with us. At any rate, I hope the time was well spent. And uh, if, if you could do one thing for us, it would be incredible if you could subscribe to the podcast. And if you've already done that, first, I'd love to give you a hug when I see you next. And second... If you would then instead rate and review the podcast, it helps us get discovered. It helps others that are interested in the topics, find us and uh, all the way around. It is super appreciated. If you'd like to connect with us for any reason, you'd like to connect with me directly and ask me some questions about marketing or uh, maybe suggest a topic for an episode that we should be talking about. Uh, go ahead and email me at Adam, A-D-A-M at secret Or just generally check us out at secretsushi.com to see what we're up to. All right, take care.